I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 118. And we started a series with uh, George P. Wood talking out of the box. And boy, we did, we discovered some things about out of the box. Some things that are traditions that we have put on our Christmas story that are just not quite that accurate. And it doesn't make them evil or wrong or I don't go out and smash my nativity out in the driveway. I hope none of you did that. Great, great grandma gave that to you. Don't do that. And, uh, but we discovered the point is, the whole point of it was, not that those are evil or wrong. Maybe there's some, there's some inaccuracies here, but they're not evil or wrong. The point is, is that we put our expectations on how Christmas should be and when you really start peeling back the layers, that's really not the way God delivered it. And so what we do is we can, we can translate that into things in our personal life that God, this is how it ought to work for my marriage, my home, my kids, my healing, my body, my money. And all of a sudden, you find God is delivering something in a way you never dreamed, and, it, and you had it the way it ought to happen, because well, this is what happened to somebody else. Not that it wouldn't happen that way. But what happens is we miss the destiny of God because we don't like how things are delivered to us. And I love that song. No royal robes, could have made all the nations bow. No crowns, no trumpets. Just a baby wrapped, lying in a manger. So out of the box. The problem is, is that uh, God wants to bring our destiny out of the box, but we have an adversary, and last week we started, that wants to keep your destiny in the box. And we talked about Mary last week. And uh, I want to talk about Joseph today. How there are things that Satan wants to trap you in a box when God wants to take your destiny out of the box. But it's sometimes when it comes, it's just not pretty the way you just thought it was supposed to be delivered to you or how you'd be delivered. So I want to take the story, just a moment, of the man Joseph, Jesus Christ's adopted father. So look at, so look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And just join with me, okay? And hang with me here because I think you're going to love it. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, let me make that very clear, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. So we're just going to stop right there just for a moment. And uh, no one seems to really look at Joseph much, okay? How many have been to your uh, grandkids or your kids' plays where they're doing the nativity scene and everything? And, and what's Joseph usually doing? Doesn't have any lines, just stands there beside Mary in a bathrobe sitting quietly like a lot of men do. Just keep my mouth shut. Let's move along with this. And he's just really quiet. But you're going to discover that this silent man of Christmas is speaking volumes to our life. Now think about this. 
the God of the universe is about to bring to pass the prophecy that everybody's been looking for in Israel concerning the Messiah. And he says, here's what I'm going to use to fulfill the prophecy. He starts with a peasant girl, poor, not the rich, the wealthy, or royalty, but this little girl in obscurity who's a teenager that loves God with all her heart. And then God says, well, it's not just going to be her. It's going to be this guy, Joseph. And I'm going to fulfill the prophecy, and Joseph's going to be a part of this. But it's going to be so out of the box for him. This is going to be tough. But Joseph says yes. Now what's so interesting is last week I showed you the things that Mary encountered. The walls that the enemy and the world Satan tries to put on you from fulfilling God's destiny to keep you in the box. And somehow I think uh, when we look at these characters or when you're going through your own problem. I can tell you this, the enemy will make you think nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody really knows how you feel. I understand there are some people that are insensitive and you know, they got the personality of that rock over there and they, they don't have much feeling. I get that. But sometimes we want to make ourselves to the place where we think that somehow we're special and that nobody goes through what we go through. And that nobody faces what we face. And the enemy wants you to think that because what he wants to do is show you that God is not good. He's picking on you. The truth is, is that sometimes what we encounter, God is really going to take what the enemy meant for our harm and turn it to good. Now Satan wants to, Satan wants to hold us in. And remember last week I talked about the walls that Mary encountered. Well, Joseph's not special either. He's going to encounter the exact same things Mary's going to counter. So if they encountered it, you're no different than them. You're breathing just like them. You're going to encounter this. So if you weren't here last week, you go hear the message. I'll be, there were different things that happened and different approaches, but they both face the same thing. So Satan wants to hold in the box. God says, I want to take you out of the box. But the first thing we find Joseph encountering is the same thing she encountered. Is, is the first thing is, is she faces uh, consternation. And he faces consternation, fear, anxiety, panic. But he flips it and goes to determination. Now let me explain this just for a moment. Joseph's life is now turned upside down. Now I read the text to you, but look at the next verse of what it says. The next verse says this, and he considered this. He said, I'm going to put, my, I'm gonna put, put her away quietly. And he considered this. He says, I'm really thinking about this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, this may be a little bit confusing to you, so let's go back to the story. First of all, it says that they were engaged in verse 18. And then verse 19, it says that he broke the engagement. And some of you have different translations on your app, and it doesn't say broke the engagement. It says divorce. You say, well, were they married or not married? Now he's divorcing. And then in verse 20, it says that he takes her his wife. He said, Pastor, I'm kind of confused. Some of you may not understand this. Well, the reason that people don't understand this is that marriage for most of us in America, is an event. It's an event. Everybody's working toward the event, the big celebration. But in Jewish custom and in Jewish marriage, it wasn't an event. It was a process. So here's the process. So all of a sudden, he meets Mary, and they go into this engagement process. It's a, contra it's, it's a, it's a contractual stage, actually. The parents meet each other, meet the young man, and most of the time, parents would choose their spouses for them. 
in that culture. I like that. Some of you parents are feeling a whole lot more Jewish today than ever, aren't you? Amen? Many parents would. And when both parents agreed, they would enter into this engagement stage. It was a covenant stage. It was a contractual, and that's when the betrothal began to happen, what we would call engagement. But it was the, the betrothal, equivalent to our engagement, but this was a whole lot more serious than we make our engagements. They would go into this covenant together, a contract, and the only way in this betrothal stage that it could be broken was you had to divorce the person to dissolve the contract in the betrothal stage. So it was, more, it was, it was as serious as you when you got married. You had to get, this, this was a contract. And then after that one year stage, they went into this one week of celebration that lasted a whole week, a whole week long, and then they would have the marriage ceremony. They would have that. It would have this marriage ceremony, and it would, it would go on for a whole week, and people would celebrate. And it's very clear in verse 18 that this took place before the marriage took place. So you got to understand, they did not have sex before marriage, even in that betrothal stage, okay? Now, Joe had different plans for God. Joe's going, okay, that's the process, God. That's the way it works. Boy meets girl. Boy meets parents. Parents say, yay, we have this engagement, betrothal stage, send out save the date cards, have the big wedding, let's blow about 50 grand. That's, a lot of people spend a lot of money. But his plans blow up. I mean, it blows up. This is not the way you bring this out of the box. Consternation is gripping this guy's life. But the Bible says he went from consternation to determination. Now let me show you this. This is really good. Look at verse 20. Remember? Now he considered this. Let's put her away. Let's just get this done with. And, I, and I'll tell you what I love about him is that he didn't want to shame her. He's trying to find a good way of keeping this as quiet as possible because he's not sure he believes Mary right now. But he doesn't want to disgrace her. Isn't it amazing how many Christians love to just find when another Christian sins and make sure everybody knows about it, but let's do it under the banner of, hey, I just want you to pray about this, but did you know so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so? How quick we in the body of Christ want to do this. But he doesn't even want to shame her. Can we take a cue from Joseph on this? Mm, not many amens, but wait till it's your turn and somebody does it to you. Wow. Then the Bible says that he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Joseph, son of David, the angel said, watch this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what? Be afraid because you see this angel appearing for you in a dream? No, he wasn't afraid of the angel. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the word of God. Now look at this. Joseph is not afraid of the angel. He's not afraid of the dream. He's afraid of what will people think if I marry this girl who tells me she's pregnant by God. Because he's not sure he believes this or he wouldn't have thought about putting her away quietly and let's just, get, let's just move on to the next thing. 
So Joseph's got to make a big decision when he hears from God. He's got to make a big decision. Was he going to trust God's promise and the voice God used in that moment, or was he not going to trust him? And he chose to trust God, and as a result of trusting the voice of God through that angel, he goes from, I'm afraid. What will people think? What are they going to do to her? Let's just get this over with. Let's just quietly put this away. And he says, no, I know what's going to hit me. And determination hits his life. Instead of fear, trepidation, intimidation, he goes to determination to do God's will. Because he knows it's still going to come. And this wouldn't be the only time that he would face consternation, everybody. This guy, you find him very, you, you find Joseph having determination every time he listens to the voices God uses to direct him. And let me show you another one. I'll show you right now. After Jesus is born, he's about two years old. The wise men come visit him when he's about two years old, bring him the gifts. And then he has another dream. This is when Jesus is now a toddler now. Okay, he's not a baby. He's, 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 he's not in the cattle loom anymore. He is a, he's, a, he's a baby. He's a toddler. And the wise men visit and look at verse chapter 2 and verse 13 of Joseph's encounter with the angel. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you. He is listening to the voices God is using until I tell you to return. Because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt that night, there's no delayed disobedience here. Determination, no delayed disobedience. I hear, I do. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. Now, Joseph has asked for something. Now, watch this. Joseph is being asked to take this mother and a little toddler from Bethlehem to Egypt. Go Google it. It's hundreds of miles to take Mary and a two-year-old probably across all of this rough terrain in the middle. I don't know about you, but how many of you are traveling with a toddler over the Christmas holidays for Christmas? Anybody going on a long trip? No, nobody wants to because you stop doing it because it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. You can't even go across that. Okay, you got the pack and play? You got the pack and play? Oh, yeah, yeah. You got the formula? I got the formula. You got enough diapers? Did you get enough diapers? Well, I don't know. But, you know, maybe you might cry. I might get sick. Did you get all the medications? Well, I, I, you know, did you, did you get the car seats? Wait a minute. Do you, oh, I can't believe you forgot that. I'm telling you, you have, to, you have to have a planner. You have to have someone that knows how to, a plan, event planner, just to go take a child across the street when you go visit somebody. Now, he's got to take this kid the mother and the toddler. He's got to go hundreds of miles. Some people aren't even here with their kids today because it's so tough just getting your kids up and you're watching online. And this guy has got to go hundreds of miles because he's listening to the voice of God and they're going to ride a donkey all the way. At least you get a caravan with video players to keep them occupied. Are you, are, are you seeing this? Can you see the consternation of a dad who knows there's a man wanting to kill a baby and he's going to kill a lot of the babies? I got to get out of here and scoot. Now I've got to go through, I've got to go through rough terrain. It wasn't just rough terrain. 
There were people that were robbers and thieves that would take advantage of people traveling like this that were vulnerable with the child. There were wild animals and wild beasts. Are you seeing what it took for him to go? This guy, I promise you, is going to face consternation because he knows I got to take these two across all of this territory with robbers and I got to flee. You talk, you, you just about go in fear just taking your kid to go visit the in-laws over Christmas because it's going to wear me out. He has determination. Now, I'm really surprised by this. Let me make a point here. Some of you are in fear and consternation over things because God didn't deliver them the way it should be. I should be further ahead in my marriage right now than this. We've been to counseling. We've been to prayer centers. We've been to deliverance ministries. It should be done by now. Now, listen close to this. Isn't it surprising that a powerful angel, Gabriel, remember one angel, one angel alone in the Old Testament killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night for Israel. One angel killed 185,000. Now, doesn't it surprise you that this powerful angel would tell them, run for your life? Doesn't that shock you? Doesn't it seem like God is doing this the hard way? I mean, come on, he's God. Why, doesn't he, he, why didn't he just protect them supernaturally? Or oh, why, didn't, why didn't he just transport them and just, just, just transport them? And he wakes up, oh, boom, I'm, I'm, I'm in Egypt. I gotta protect, he's, I, we got to protect the one, the redeemer of the world. Don't you think God is doing this? Why couldn't the angel just, hey, why about this? How about this? How about, we just, how about we just knock off Herod and just get him down, let somebody assassinate and kill him like you read the rest of them in the stories of the Old Testament? Why don't we just kill his armies? You've killed 185,000. Why don't you do this before? Are you tracking with me here just for a moment? Some of us are about to abandon the faith because you think God should have done it a way that he's not supposed to do it when he has the ability to do so. And fear and consternation and your decisions and what you're doing is out of fear and doubt and unbelief. Here's the lesson in all this. God's way is not always the softest way, everybody. And sometimes it's not the safest way. But I can tell you God's will is always the surest way to his blessing in your life and fulfilling the destiny that comes out of that box in your life. Sometimes God's will will lead you into dangerous places. But the most dangerous place anywhere is outside of you living in the will of God. I fear for you if you are not listening to God and his word. You are living in the most dangerous place, more dangerous than this dad that did what the voices that God told him to do. But what does he do? This guy goes from, oh, he goes from consternation to determination. Now why? Why is this happening to him? What's the reason? Why did Joseph, why did Joseph have to do this? Why did he, why did, one simple reason why he had to do this. Matthew 2 verse 15. Here's the reason why. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. God says he's got to be in Egypt because I want to call him out of Egypt. Joseph, you are fulfilling the prophecy of God and you're not letting consternation run your life. You're letting the determination because you are influenced by the voices of God. God's fulfilling his promise, everybody. Here's my point to you. Don't you get ready. To, don't you abandon what God said about you. 
Don't you abandon his word because it's not working out the way you want it. Because God fulfills his promise, and no matter how bleak your situation may look, no matter how out of the box it may seem to you, God's purpose is being fulfilled in your life, and the steps of the righteous people are ordered by God, even in the midst of consternation. Let his determination come through your life. Determination is what is going to bring God's destination out of your life and destiny out of your life. Well, then here comes the next wall. He's facing the same thing Mary's got to face. And here we go. He's going to face condemnation. So, so God's the daddy, huh? Joseph had to endure ridicule like Mary. He had to face it. A lot of ridicule. He knows the story's swirling. Yeah, you know, <laughs> She shouldn't have gone out like that. Some of the theories were that she got raped by a Roman soldier. Or Mary had a secret lover on the side, wasn't really faithful to Joseph. Those were all out there. Because nobody, not even the religious crowd, even the religious crowd didn't like it because they told Jesus, we're not born of illegitimacy. The teachers of the law said that to him. Even the religious crowd, the church-going people, didn't believe that one. And he's got to live with it. Oh, Joe was a fornicator. Well, let me tell you about Joe. <laughs> My daughter dated him. <laughs> Joseph had a major crisis on his life, and condemnation is going to swirl around him and his family, and he knows it. Joseph had a major crisis on his hand. He now has a young teenager who he is betrothed to, who he's not had sex with, who is pregnant, but the child's not his. What's he supposed to do? Now, let me tell you what condemnation would have done. Let, let me, oh, let's go back there. You, you, here, you, you know, you, you, let me take you back then. Let me tell you what's supposed to happen then. According to the law back then, here's what he's supposed to do. If a young lady was found to be unfaithful before her marriage took place, not before that marriage, one of three things happened, one of three things happened in the law. Here's what he's supposed to do. Number one, he could have her publicly stoned to death, and nobody would have blinked an eye and said, you did the right thing, buddy. So number one. Secondly, he could publicly announce her unfaithfulness, and then it disgraces her and marks her for the rest of her life so that no man will ever want Mary again. Or he puts her away privately and just breaks the contract. If he would have lived under the spirit of condemnation, he would have done one of those three things. We know he would have because he was considering it and he was thinking about it until he allowed the voice that God used to speak truth to him. Are you with me? So instead of living in condemnation, this guy lives in, I know my identification, I know who I serve, and I know who I am. Now, how do we know his identification? His identification was in his relationship with God. Now, that prophetic word that came, I had no idea that came earlier, that prophecy. I had no idea that was, I, I didn't know what it was going to be said. I, had, I knew it was coming, but I didn't know what was going to be said. And did you hear what it said for those of you that just let that drift off? He said, I really want a relationship with you. I don't just want you to know me. I really want to know you. I want you to see me. God is real. 
He's touched by your feelings. He's touched by your past. He wants you to help you in the present so you can walk out the destiny of your future. But this guy's identity was totally in a relationship with God. Now let me show you why. <laughs> this is really crazy about Joseph. Joseph doesn't have to say, I know who I am in God. He didn't even do what Mary, he didn't even do what Mary did. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Have you noticed that Joseph doesn't say a word in the whole Bible? Did y'all notice that? There are no recorded words of Joseph anywhere in the holy word of God. Nothing. Nothing. Are you listening to what I'm saying? He doesn't say a word. Doesn't even say anything about himself. I'm a really good guy, honestly. Nothing. There's no grunts. No burps. Look, look, look. If, listen, if your 13-year-old boy is at least giving you a primal grunt, you ought to be happy right now. This guy doesn't say a word. Not a word. I'm telling you, there are no recorded words of Joseph in the entire word of God. And he doesn't have to tell you, I really love God. I really love God. I am the Lord's servant. I can't believe these people are doing this to me. Can you believe they posted that on the internet? He doesn't have to say diddly squat. He doesn't have to say I'm righteous. But here's what's beautiful. All the people who knew him well called him righteous. Look at Matthew 1.19. Look at this. Matthew records this. Joseph to whom she was engaged was a what? A righteous man. This guy didn't need words. He just lived his life so strong that he never has to announce the obvious. I know him. I've lived with him. I've seen him. He's my neighbor. He's a carpenter. He built, he, built me a, he built me a chair in my house. When it broke, he came back and repaired it. He didn't overcharge me. He didn't build me. He was integrity. He didn't lie in his IRS return. Didn't lie, but didn't cheat on his taxes. This man loved God, was in the house of God. I know this man. He is a righteous man. I'm going to tell you, it is powerful when you get to keep your mouth shut, but everybody already knows what you are because you never have to announce what's obvious about your life. Never. I get so sick and tired of people trying to convince me with their words who they are. Well, I'm loyal. If you have to keep telling me you're loyal, you're probably not loyal. Oh, I really love God. I really love God. No, I don't want to hear about you love God. Boy, I'm a giver. I'm a giver. Here's the proof. Obedience is your proof of your belief. If you're not doing it, zip it. I'm serious, zip it. This generation over here, and personally my generation, we're really sick of it. Don't, don't say, do you know what the difference, do, do you know what the difference is between a Christian who refuses to pray and a pagan or a heathen that doesn't know how to pray? You know what the difference is? Absolutely nothing. Do you know what the difference is between a Christian who does this in church and refuses to worship and a pagan who doesn't know how to worship? Let me tell you, absolutely nothing. 
Do you know the difference between a believer who refuses to get in the Word, to study it, and hear the voices of the Word to influence him, and a pagan who doesn't know how to study the Word? Absolutely. Can I tell you the difference between a Christian who knows that they were forgiven of their sins, but they can't forgive somebody else? Can I tell you what the difference is between a Christian who won't forgive and a pagan who doesn't know God, who doesn't know how to forgive? Absolutely. Can I tell you the difference between a Christian who refuses to give, to perpetuate the gospel of Jesus Christ, say the church is always after money, a believer, a Christian who says I refuse to give, and a pagan who doesn't know how to give? Can I tell you what the difference is between those two people? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. So everybody watching online, everybody sitting in this room, here's the bottom line that Joseph teaches us. If your actions don't live up to your words, you don't have nothing to say. Nothing. Just sit quiet and live the life of hypocrisy. But be willing to speak up when God challenges you to say, I'm going to start living for God and hold me accountable. And then when I'm wrong, I want to face up to it. Wow. Joseph doesn't have to say, oh, I stand on the word of God. I believe the word of God. No, no, no. He just says, this is the way I live my life and my business. This is the way I'm going to raise my kids. This is how I'm going to treat my wife. This is how I'm going to treat people around me. In fact, I'm going to sit there and start unfolding all the trash of my wife because I'm going to prove I'm right because I've got to vindicate myself. I'm a businessman in this town and people are not going to do my work anymore. If you know I've got a wife that's over here and she's sleeping around and I'm going to live with her. Let's just put her out. Let's put it out there. Let's just get rid of it. Let me exonerate myself and vindicate who I am. No, he doesn't. I don't even want to shame her. This guy doesn't have to say a word. He just acts it out. God bless you. You're dismissed. You've been a great crowd. God bless you. Hmm. But he knew who he was because he had a relationship. He loved God and everybody knew it. Didn't have to say I'm spiritual. God uses me. Let's just see if he does. Well, the next thing, then all of a sudden, he's sitting there. He could do the same thing that happened to Mary, happened to him. Boy, you just want to run in isolation. Now, he doesn't say a word. Now, he doesn't say a word, but you can sure see what he's doing. Oh, you can see it. Look what happens over here. The next thing you find is the walls of isolation start hitting Joseph. Watch this. Verse 19. Come on, let's go there. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. And did not want to disgrace her publicly. But watch his next action when Satan holds you in isolation, condemnation, and consternation. Look what he does. He decided to break the engagement quietly. He's saying, I want to distance myself from this woman because I'm not sure I believe her. He is getting ready to divorce himself from his own destiny. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. What kept him from doing so? What kept him from not isolating 
from his own wife. I, I'm just going to tell you something. You can see it begin to happen in marriages. Boy, just, you see it happen in church. Don't want to talk. I'm going to talk. I'm going to ghost them. Unfriend them. He starts breaking off with his destiny. Watch this. Matthew 1.24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. He knows all the deal. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how people are going to make fun of him. He's going to hear the snickers in the marketplace when he takes his wife through. They're going to see when he's a little boy and they cradle him and they take him with their little stroller. The people snicking around the corner said, you know, she really is this. You know, he's really that. You know, he's really this. Did you know what really happened there? That's not really. That's what they say. It was God. You want to isolate because you just want to escape all that. But how was it? What kept him from doing so? And I'll tell you what it is. It was his constant association with the voices that God used in his life. Every time the angel of the Lord said, he immediately did. He was a man connected to the presence of God and he did what God said. That's why he goes from isolation and he stays with association with the voices that God uses to influence his life. Hmm. For example, let me show you something. He's always in association. He doesn't have to tell you, I go to church. Yeah, I'm faithful to church. Yeah, I go to church. I'm a small group. Yeah, I'm a... doesn't have to say a word. Let me see what you do. <laughs> let me see what you do. In Luke 2, 7, just go jot it down. Go write it. Go write it down. What does he do the moment Jesus is born after Jesus is born? What does he do? The Bible says Joseph and Mary go present Jesus for dedication to Simeon, the high priest, for him to go through all the rituals of the law. Immediately to dedicate their child to the Lord, What's he doing? He's immediately connected, he and his wife, to something he's accustomed to, and that's with the people of God, the leaders of God. And he brings his little boy, who doesn't even know how to speak right now. He wants him to sense the presence of God on his life, and he has him dedicated. He's always got him in association with God's people. How do we know? Same chapter. Down just a few verses. Go to Luke 2, verse 41. Jesus is now 12 years old. He's an adolescent. That's when most kids are starting to give you trouble, trying to push back. But where's Jesus? They take Jesus to Passover in Jerusalem. They travel to Passover, and the Bible says they do it every year. Every year. He loaded up Mary and, jo and, and Jesus, and Joseph took them down to Passover in Jerusalem. And one time, he takes off and forgets his kid at church. What kind of parents are you? <laughs> And they're headed back and they see Jesus missing. Guess what he does? He turns back, finds Jesus, and where's Jesus? He's in the temple talking with the teachers of the law, sitting there listening to them, and then asking them questions, and they're listening to this 12-year-old respond. He has him in the house of God. And I'm going to tell you something. Kids whose parents start getting them connected with their pastoral leaders, I walked out of here today, walked in here today, and I mean, it's children go, hey, Pastor Sam, hey, Pastor Sam. Some of them never met me, but they see it because their family has them in children's ministry. They see us on the screen, hey, Pastor Sam, hey, Pastor Sam. They are so connected, they are comfortable speaking to adult leaders in the body of Christ. For Jesus to sit there and have conversation with, with teachers of the law meant that his parents constantly had him in the presence of voices that would mature him in God. So he was so comfortable that even when his parents have bolted, he's absolutely comfortable with being around these leaders. What does that mean? If you want to get your kid's destiny to where it needs to be, if you want to fulfill the destiny of God, can I tell you, don't disconnect from church more. Don't start showing up less. Don't say my life is too busy. All of our lives are busy because the world is run by busy people. 
and usually tired people. But he knew the most important thing that I can ever do is to stay in association with the voices God uses with me, but I'm also going to prove it by how I treat my wife and my kids. I'm going to make sure they're in the synagogue. I'm going to make sure they're always in front of the presence. He knew this. And friends, can I tell you, this is what Satan is doing. He is separating people and taking away the righteous voices that will mature people. Do not disconnect and divorce yourself from voices that are actually looking for the greatness of God in you. Just because they challenge you on an issue does not mean that they're mad at you or purposely woke up and say, hey, I just want to tick them off today. I'm going to challenge them on this. Friends, can I tell you? Satan fights unity and he wants isolation. Why? Because there is power in unity. Satan's strategy is to divide your marriage, divide your family, divide the church, and divide this church evenly. I promise you. To divide your small group, to divide your youth group, that's exactly what he wants to do. And I will promise you, his strategy is already working in the United States of America. We are split down the middle, and it's working. Divided against itself, it won't stand. Satan's strategy is succeeding. Don't allow him to succeed in this church, your small group, your marriage, in your home, with your family. Come on, give us a church that will live out the prayer of Jesus Christ when he said, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you and I are, you are in me. Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Church, can I tell you, we may not always see eye to eye, but we always got to walk hand in hand so that the destiny of God can come out of us through our association. Righteous voices bringing out the destiny of God in people's lives. I got to give you the last one and then we're all going to go home. The last thing is accusation. A guy that has no recorded words. We never find Joseph ever accusing God in this whole thing. We don't hear accusation, but we do see adoration. We see it. We see it very clearly. Mary, she came along with songs and a lyric, the Magnificat. Songs and lyric. How many know that's worship? Right? It's worship song. Songs and lyrics. We heard them today. But adoration doesn't just come through music. It comes through the mundane, but we don't treat the mundane as if it is worship. The routine of your day, it's an act of worship before God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In the mundane is worship. Don't just make worship about what we do in the first 15, 20 minutes of this service. The mundane, how are you going to work tomorrow? Come on. Some of you going, oh, why did you bring it up, man? <laughs> because your work is worship. When you open up the Bible, the first verse in Genesis, in the beginning God created. He was working. He's manifesting his worship, his glory, in the middle of his work creating. That's why Colossians says, whatever you do, work with it all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Folks, listen closely to this. Your worship does not stop when we dismiss you from this building. 
In fact, can I tell you your greatest worship that you're going to do and you're going to offer to God is going to happen tomorrow on your job at 9 to 5 or when you go to that class tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning. Your worship begins then. And whatever you do, whether it's a grade, whether it's working, whether it's serving, whether it's sweeping, whether it's writing a contract, do it as worship unto God. I am honoring God and it's going to reflect him. It is. I could go on that for a long time, but I won't. See, it's not what you say. Joseph was a good businessman. Honored God. Provided for his family. Perpetuated the kingdom of God. He just lived it. He was a righteous man. Others saw it. Hmm. You know what else? Man, I thought, should I really go there with this? But you know me. This guy starts going to adoration, not with just the mundane, without saying words, and his wife's got a song. But it shows up, you ready for this? It shows up in Joseph's sex life. Ah, I got your attention. Joe starts worshiping God with his body. Now listen closely to what I have to say. When you see the life of these two young people, she's a teenager, tune in over here on this side. She and her husband realize that sex, sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife is a sacred, holy act and it's actually God's gift to them. And they realize it. Now, some people say, that's why I want to get married, Pastor Sam. My loins are on fire, and I just, I just, I got to have sex. <laughs> Boy, we're going to hear that one a lot. Loins are on fire. We're going to hear that one. That's going to, that's going to, that's going to go, that's going to go viral. I can tell right now. Look, if you're, look, look, young people, can I just give, can I just give you some insight here? If, if you're wanting to get married just to have sex, can I just, can I just shoot straight with you? That's like you buying a jumbo jet so you can have the pretzels and the peanuts on the plane. You have so missed it because you want to fulfill this one physical gratification. It, it goes so far beyond that. It, now, believe me, God gave sex as a, to a husband or wife because it's intended for pleasure. Yes, it is. It is intended for pleasure. But it was something that is pointing to so far beyond. If you listen to my Heaven series, you understood what I was talking about. It is a, listen, it is such a unique bond that God gave humans to have sex between a husband and wife that is so uncommon in an exclusive way. It, it doesn't just put them together physically. It puts them together in their soul, their emotions. Everything gets bonded together. That's why Paul is adamant to those new believers. Don't just be having sex with prostitutes because whether you like it or not and you think it's just a one-night stand, it's not a one-night stand. There is a bond that is that there's an adhesion that went from your soul to that person's soul. It is there. Don't kid yourself. I don't care what that trash out there they say. Don't buy it. They didn't create you. He did. And they didn't give you the gift. He did. How am I doing, parents? Some of you are too embarrassed to say amen. So let me explain this. They saw it as a sacred holy act. I'm telling you, people don't want to. I know some of you are going, he, he got sex out of the Christmas story. Great. 
Somehow he's going to pull sex out of the Christmas story. Yes, I am. Because what sexual pleasure between a husband and wife is, it is a physical expression that points to the spiritual truth. It is a physical intimacy that reflects the relation and the depth of intimacy that God wants with his people. That kind of depth of relationship. So if that is what God is using to express it, doesn't it stand to reason that Satan's got to pervert our bodies which are holy and that the sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife is actually an expression pointing to the deeper things of the intimacy between God and his people. So why do you think he's jacking with everybody's identity? Why? Because your body is holy. When you're dating your boy for your girlfriend, their body is holy and it's sacred. That act between a husband and wife is holy and sacred. That's why you don't bring porn into your marriage because you don't bring other people into your marriage. It is sacred, holy between you and your spouse to reflect the spiritual truth. I think I've got more attention at this point in the message than I had the whole thing. Are you seeing this? And people don't realize that this is what's going on. And here's Joseph. Let me tell you. Don't tell me. Don't tell. Don't, great. You got your purity ring. I love it. But he shows it. And let me where he show. He sees that God is holy in all this. Matthew 1, and verse 25. Look what he says. It says, when Joseph woke up, Matthew said, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Now, he can. They can express the physical intimacy. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. Now look, both he and Mary, they've been waiting for this. They have been waiting for this. They have all the rights before God because they followed God. But yet, Joseph does something with his own body that he didn't have to do. He knew that sex was sacred between a husband and a wife and holy. And that's why you honor people when you date them. It's because their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What Joseph saw was there was even something more sacred than the physical gratification that I am entitled to at this point. There is something much more holy than our holy act of a husband and wife coming together as one to consummate this marriage. And he saw this child is more holy than me needing a need and fulfilling the need that I have to have when God says it's okay. This guy simply proved in his marriage, before his marriage, that your bodies and your behavior is an act of worship before God. And you say, I don't buy that. Then you haven't read the Bible much. Because look at Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, dear brothers and sisters, he says this to them, not just the brothers, not just the sisters, dear male and female, 
teenagers, adults, Jesus followers. I plead with you to give your what? Your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Are you ready for this? This is truly the way to worship. Now look, he's talking to him. He's being real. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He's saying there's something that God wants to bring out of you. He wants to bring out of you, but instead, don't accuse God saying, you want to take all away all my fun and why can't, she doesn't treat me like she used to. He says, no, 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 no. He says, let your body and let your life be adoration before a holy God. But you can't do this on your own. It's not just willpower, 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 cold shower, willpower, cold shower, willpower. He's saying, this is something you surrender to God and let him transform you. Now remember who he's talking to here. He's not talking to a bunch of people that have been raised in church. This is a Roman culture full of paganism. And I know you look at our culture and go, man, what has our culture gone to? I'm going to tell you something. What you saw in their time would sicken you today that you would beg to have our time back. The Roman pagan culture was so vile and approved and signed off on. Take my word for it. So he looks to these Gentiles who've been brought, grafted in to the body. And he says, now listen, you just treated people like they were just a piece of flesh. You're sacred, you're holy. And now God wants to transform the way he really designed you from the inside out. Because that word transform is really the word metamorpho in the Greek, which means to be changed from the inside out. And that's what God's doing with us. So I want to talk to some of you that these Romans didn't know. That was just what I was raised in. It's just what we did. Yeah, I might have felt bad about it, but now I'm going to tell you, now that you follow Jesus Christ, you can't be living the way you used to live. Because you don't need to tell everybody, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm, I'm born again. I'm, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I go to, I go to that youth group. I'm over there. Boy, I tell you what, I'm involved in there serving at that church. I help out people that need. I, 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 took a, I gave a buck in the offering the other day. I'm a big giver. He said, I know you came out of that. But now that you follow Jesus Christ, let's let him start doing the transformation from the inside of your soul so that we don't have to announce to everybody, I'm an honest business person. We don't have to announce to everybody, I'm spiritual. We don't have to announce to everybody, we love our city. We don't have to announce to, I really love God, I want God. We actually have people that sit back and say, you know what? I know other people out there are making accusation. I know other people out there are putting condemnation, but I've been around you. You are a righteous man. You are a righteous woman. Not because of your self-will, but because of his transformational power in your life. Oh, how many thank God he's working on the inside of you and me, making us something. 
that the world wants again.